Hello, everybody, and welcome to Horror Movie Yearbook. I'm your host, Willie, and with me is my uh, fantastic, fantastical. We'll go with fantastical. Fantastic, Mr. Fantastic. Captain Mr. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yes. My favorite, actually, um, Elton John album. Uh-huh. And it's I don't I'm not gonna say Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboys is best, okay. but it is my favorite because it was my it was my dad's favorite. Interesting. What's to, on the well? Album, it is my know? dad's favorite. Was but like when I was growing up, that's what he would always listen to. What's the standout track? Uh, Captain know? Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy, Tower of Babel, uh, Philadelphia Freedom. You remember Philadelphia? Yeah, 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 for sure. Good, yeah, good jam. Good jams. So yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. You got a favorite song? El John. Yeah. Is there one that kind of sticks out to you? Uh, both of the uh, Tower of Babel and Captain Fantastic and the Brown okay. Dirt Cowboy, but I would also throw in there my father's gun. Yeah, great song. Yeah, great song. What I'm about a, you? Uh, I guess that's why they call it the blues. Guess that's <laughs> such a. Jam, have you seen dude. Rocket Man? No, I haven't. Uh, you should check that out. It's I, I liked it a lot. I may have to. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's uh, not a straightforward biopic. There's some weird stuff. I think in that's it. why I was not sure if I was gonna okay be into it or not. Yeah, because I they play I, around I, with some. I like my biopics pretty straightforward. Do you? Okay. Kind of lame with them. Yeah. Um, there are some flashes of. Okay. Um, I don't know. There's some. There's a. There's a style to it. There's some kind of like magical moments. Okay. I would say. I'll check it out. Yeah, I liked it. Um, excellent. Your name's Tim. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> this is Tim. Uh, soon to be host of an Elton John. I will. Oh, I should start oh, that. That'd be delightful. <laughs> Um, thank you guys for listening to Horror Movie Yearbook, as always. Um, this will be our first chapter in our Summer of Cronenberg series. We're talking about Scanners. We're covering all the 80s Cronenberg uh, films. Very excited about this. Um, obviously, Cronenberg's um, in the news quite a bit today, uh, lately with his uh, his new film and his return to Crimes body horror. Crimes of the future, right? Crimes of the future. Which you and I will probably watch maybe in like four or five years. Yeah. More than <laughs> I likely. guess whatever. Yeah. Whenever. We'll probably on this podcast we'll go, oh, we should do, we should do that. Exactly. <laughs> yep. We never did watch that. Um, yeah, there's a good chance you'll be seeing it before me. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, I should, yeah, I should mention, I was, remember that I was doing the, uh, for anybody who was listening to the Adderall, I haven't done it in like a month and a half. Mm. Um I mentioned on here I got COVID, and then it got nice outside. Yeah. <laughs> so I have not been watching anything lately. So yeah. when I when I get to watching five movies, I'll record another one probably. But there you go. We'll see. It it is very it can be very nice out sometimes. I know. <laughs> I know. You got to get it while it gets good. Right. Sorry. Uh, Sorry we live for in Michigan. So yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we dig into scanners and start this journey, um, wanted to mention we got a couple little pieces of feedback. We always love getting feedback. Um, you can send us your feedback the same way that Alan did through our Alan, Gmail. Yes, our good friend. Horrormovieyearbook at gmail.com. Um, Alan sent us a, a fun little link to a um, a video. I think, I, I don't Is it a TikTok? I don't know. That, that looked, the, the one you showed me? Looked TikTok-esque. Y- yeah, it looked like a TikTok. I think they posted it on Reddit. It was though. on Reddit. Yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> um, uh, Michael Myers dancing to... Um, don't stop till you get enough. Don't stop till you get enough. Yeah, but, uh, from the uh, Off the Wall album. Pretty sweet. Yeah, uh, great song. Um, fun video. And uh, Alan said, "Can we force this into production?" And I would love that to happen. Yeah, I would love a sl- so. So we've done okay. There's been slasher musicals. I'm mostly thinking of Stage Fright, <laughs> um, but. Not too many. There was one, and I don't repo. I've never of. repo is a little bit. There was one I think called like Summer Camp or something like okay. that. I remember it 
from like the video store. I didn't watch it, so obviously, but I believe that was kind of a, a slasher musical as well. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> See, but I would watch. Don't quote me on that. I would watch. Um, I'm thinking of something along the lines of like Glee, where they're singing like pop songs. But pop songs of the. Um, but there's also a killer on the loose. Who do you? Okay, so what existing slasher do you think would fit best? In, in a musical in a, in a Glee type musical where they're singing like pop hits of the time. Ooh, maybe that's even a good one. Like maybe like it like an, if you were to do like Freddy or something, it would be like eighties pop hits. Yeah, or or, or uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. Uh, either one of those characters would fit. Well, because I think like especially yeah, I think either one of those would work. Um, Freddy's got the goofiness to make it work. I think and... so too. Freddy would like do some sort of big musical production and then kill. Yes. Somebody, yeah. He'd always put on a show before, which he kind of does anyway, just not necessarily musical. Right. Um, Friday the 13th would work too because uh, that's a franchise that's proven it's willing to kind of do whatever and it still kind of gets away with it. Like it still has a fan base and stuff. It, and maybe they're at, maybe this time Crystal Lake is being used for like a music summer camp. Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, maybe it's not yep. just a regular summer camp. Maybe it's like musicians have gone there. Yeah, I love it. I'd be into it. Um, what about Hellraiser? You think uh, Pinhead? I th- I, that wasn't one of the first ones I thought of. I don't Pin- know why. Yeah, I don't Pinhead's think Pinhead's got an operatic oh, quality about it. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Yeah, and maybe his fellow Cenobites could they start like a band? Yeah, he just sing the Cure. Okay, Cure a lot. <laughs> Someone would maybe Lemmy would be there and he mm. could sing Hellraiser. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hellraiser. <laughs> that song that song rules. It does so rule. Hard. It's one of the best. Um, <laughs> Hey, you Is that all, two? Uh, three. Three, okay. Yeah, that's when they go full on, like, we're a slasher series now. <laughs> it's so sweet. Um, you can also send us feedback on Twitter at HM Yearbook, um, like our friend John Street did. Um, yes. I, this one's actually from a little while back, but I, I forgot to mention it the last couple episodes. Um, John says he's been listening to uh, AFI every time he does yard work um, since listening to our episode of uh, covering... Um, Dark water. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me how much I love AFI. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I don't even remember how we made that. Ca- oh, we were doing. We were just doing our bit, the time machine bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> good, good. That's why we're here doing this podcast is to Turn reconnect you. To, yeah, yeah, reconnect you to music of the past. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> the past. Um, it's wonderful. Check out the game nerds this week. Ah, they are. They've got some fun stuff. It's they are back. Check out the game nerds. Congratulations to the founder, by the way. Yes, we haven't really been back since. Uh, since he had his, it's been a month. They, they had their child, the founder, the child founder of the has, founder. The, yes, this. The what founder, was that? The foundling. The foundling. <laughs> sure. Yes, I like that. <laughs> so, congratulations to them. Yes. They're back. The game yes. nerds are back. Alex and John, they checked out Rogue Legacy Two. You familiar with that game? No. Alex finished Elden Ring, so he's probably up with the baby. Decided to pick up Elden Ring. Yeah, he's he's going to get a lot. If it's anything like my experience, he's going to get a lot of video games in right now. Yeah, for the next couple months, and then it's going to change. <laughs> steps. Yeah, <laughs> and then um, they talked a little bit about a game called Vampire Survivors. Now, are you familiar with this one? No, me neither. So sounds red. I'll have to I'll have to check this out. And also, I'm sure they will have an episode coming. What was it today? The summer. The game, the summer game, game festival Fest or whatever. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Speaking of which, Tim. Yeah. Oh, oh, real quick. No, go for it. Uh, not horror related, but I'm a big Ninja Turtles fan. 
Uh, if you've listened to any of the other shows that I've been a part of, you'll have figured that out, I'm sure. Or maybe this show, too. I don't know. Um, but I've been very excited for a, a game called uh, Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge, mm-hmm. which is a, a throwback to the old side-scrolling arcade beat like, like Turtles in yeah. Time and stuff. But with hand, like beautiful pixels, like brand new, like like sprites and stuff. Yeah, beautiful stuff. And these, this is by the guys who did the most recent Streets of Rage, which is wonderful as well. Um, and but the release date's been getting away from like it's just no release date announced. And just today at the, at the Summer Game Fest, they're like, "Hey, it's coming out a week from today." And I'm like, "Oh, sweet! What? That's gonna be on Switch too, right?" Yeah. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Yes. Now this is only the digital release. If you want a physical copy, you have to wait. I don't know how long. I think I'm just going to go digital with this one because I don't want to wait eight months to play it. Yeah. Um, usually I'm a physical copy guy, but whatever. Um, but yeah, it looks sweet. Up to six players can play co-op. And uh, you can play as the four turtles, but you can also play as Splinter, April, or Casey Jones as well. Nice. Which is delightful. That, anyway. Oh, Casey Jones, was that the one they announced today? Yes. Okay, I yeah. did see that. Pretty exciting stuff. Um, in horror game related news, real quick before we move on, uh, the Resident Evil Four remake was. Are you excited uh, for this? Announced. Uh, okay. Yes. I, yes I I am too, and I just played it like a year or two ago. You more you recently played RE Four for the first time. Yes, but and you were a fan. RE Four is my favorite game, probably. Yeah. But I'm kind of excited for this remake for the controls aspect to hope yeah hope that they do something different with the controls. I don't want to say fix because it's not really fixing them. I think it's going to play basically like the RE2 and 3 remakes That's which why is I'm what it needs. It. Yep. Um but it does seem like they're maybe addressing some of the and I know this is probably going to get mixed results in terms of people's response to it. It looks like they're they're addressing some of the more goofy campy aspects of RE4 cuz it gets really silly like Yes it does. You're like there's like Dragon statues spitting fire at you, and like a giant robot conquistador dude running at you. Like, I think some of that stuff's going to be gone. It seems like they're going for more of a horror tone. Yes. Uh, I'm down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm excited. No, I thought the trailer looked good. Yeah. And I, you didn't see a ton of it. When was the release date on that one? That's when coming out March, I believe. So, okay. So, this coming, yeah. Obviously, this coming March. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like nine months away or And then Village VR is coming out as well. I don't know when that's coming out, but yes. But the thing is, you need, I think, the PSVR 2 or whatever. There's like an upgrade to the- Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. We'll, head over to, we'll head over to the founders. Yeah, he'll yeah, have it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Thanks, founder. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll record an episode one day. Well, well, I'm bummed about the Resident Evil 4 remake because like, the, my problem now is like- I've been coasting on having a PS4, and I have no... First of all, you can't get a PS5. Oh, uh, okay. You can't get one anywhere, apparently. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. I don't want to, like... I don't want to drop that kind of money right now. But, yeah. like, I want to play the Resident Evil 4. <laughs> so, I don't know. We'll see what <laughs> Come happens. Come over to my house, or... Yeah, I'll just sit on your couch. Just sit on my couch. Just let me know when you're, you want a session in on the couch. Yeah, just text <laughs> you. Bro, yes. I got to come over. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so, yeah. that Okay, enough of that. Excellent. We'll let the game nerds talk about this stuff. Yeah, that's their job. Um, so, what are we doing? Are we gonna do? Are we gonna do a time machine, or are we gonna? Are we just gonna just talk about the movie? Because this is this is some different. I think I called it summer school. Mm. Is what we're doing. It's the summer of '80s Cronenberg. Yeah. So we're just gonna go. I mean, should we do a time machine noise? We can do a time machine sound, I guess. Okay, that's fine. Just for tradition's sake, but yeah, yeah. I don't uh, have any time machine bit really. So no, just so you know, we're right. just gonna talk about the movie, kind of. But yeah. 
Uh, I mean, a good time machine noise for this is basically. It's good. That works. <laughs> All right, here we are. Um, what are we talking about? We're you ever taking any summer school classes? You ever had to take summer school? Did you bomb anything in high school or? I feel like I took this weird thing that wasn't necessarily summer school, but it was like mm. it was like a two week thing that was like, hey, you were screwing around. Mm. Oh, you, you're going to take two weeks of summer school. Okay. It wasn't like a full class. Though. It wasn't like to make up. Lost. No, no, it was like, yeah, I did. A, I, I was bad in one of the classes. Yeah, okay. Like I was just really bad at math. Probably. I think that was my thing, too. Yeah. I had one summer school class. and It was definitely math. And they were like, you got to take this for, I want to say I was in it for like two or three weeks. I, okay. That was terrible. <laughs> Maybe that's all summer school is. is Maybe that's it. <laughs> I didn't really pay much attention. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't pay much attention to the summer school class either. I was basically like, okay, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll, if you want I'll me to. I'll scrape by. <laughs> but, but I remember it being, I remember it being kind of fun because all my friends were in there anyway. <laughs> they yeah. were also in summer school. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> um, man. Yeah, because I and honestly, I think some of summer school too is like kids who have parents have, have to work and stuff, or like yeah, yeah, didn't want them home or right. I, I had friends like that too, so that were that were in school. So yeah, I almost I didn't graduate. It was like close. What high school? Yeah. Oh really? I was really close. I just didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I was so lazy with it. Like. I remember my, my graduation was hinging on my grade in Myths and Legends. Ooh. And the only reason I took that class was because there was a class trip to go see Return of the King in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> and the only bit of work I did in that class was going and seeing Return, of the, Return King of the King in the theater. So apparently I got just enough of a grade to... Whatever. All right, let's not go cover We're, that So, history. yeah, this is this is summer school. We're not talking about Return of the King. No. We're talking about something with, something with not uh, only one ending, I think. Yeah. yeah, this this one ends. Yeah, it, it does just end. ends. Uh, this is Scanners, a horror sci-fi thriller, according to IMDb. This is probably for me. It leans a little more sci-fi. This than is not, anything. Yeah, this is this is horror adjacent. I think it maybe gets that horror label for the for a couple scenes and the fact that Cronenberg yes. is involved and in like before and after this movie, the stuff he did was certainly horror. In that genre, right? Yeah, and and thriller. I mean, I'll leave that up to the audience member because thrilling is. I mean, eh. it's got its moments. <laughs> a scientist trains a man with an advanced tele- tele- telepathic ability called scanning to stop a dangerous scanner with extraordinary psychic powers from waging war against non-scanners. Written and directed by David Cronenberg, starring Jennifer O'Neill, Stephen Lack, Patrick McGuhan, and they don't have him listed. But the wonderful, the perfect, the great Michael Ironside. Michael Ironside, who is the who is the star of this film. Ironside could be in anything, and I'll I'm in. Yeah, yeah. He's just one of those actors where I'm like, yeah, okay. Love the guy. So it's just to set the table of where we're at. We're doing '80s Cronenberg. This is his. So I've seen it referred to as his seventh film. This is the, I, I'm going to say no. They're counting his TV movies, I think, as well. Mm. This is, I'm going to say his one, two, three. This is his fourth movie. Because I start with The Rabbit. When I look at Cronenberg's filmography, I start with The Rabbit. Yeah. Then he did Fast Company, which I've actually never seen and was going to watch before mm-hmm. the podcast. But 
Um, he also, oh, you know what? I forgot about Shivers. I start with Shivers, and then I go to Rabbit, and then Fast Company, and The Brood. So this is, would be his fifth film then. But The Brood, this comes right after The Brood, which was his... Which we've talked about. We've talked about, mm-hmm. and... So, yeah, we'll start just reviewing our non-spoiler thoughts, because mm-hmm. I'll say, I think The Brood is a better example of Cronenberg kind of melding his early stuff with where he would go later on with kind of more mainstream horror filmmaking or mainstream filmmaking. This I can see, like, this might be a little bit, this is one of the things where I don't think there is quite enough Cronenberg for me in it. It's one of those things where it gets a little bland in the middle and he has talked about some of the production issues that he had in it. And I think, I think that limits it a little bit, but I think this is a movie where the middle is very, um, very trying to get through. Mm-hmm. I'll say the, the, this is a movie where the first 15 minutes are great. Last 15 minutes are great. And then everything in between is fine. This is, uh, this is my second time seeing it. I watched it a long time ago as well. And I pretty much feel the same way as I did then. Uh, Willie, what do you think? Have you seen this one before? Yeah, it's been a while. Here's the thing with Scanners is like everybody remembers the like one scene in yep. Scanners. And it's great. It's like really good. It's like as good as it can get in terms of pure horror just and tension. But that scene's pretty early in the movie and it never reaches those peaks again. You know what I mean? It just doesn't ever get there again. Um, I think the finale works. I think there's bits throughout the film, sprinkled throughout the film, that make it kind of a fun, uh, almost an on-the-run or espionage type thing. I think it attempts to do that, and I think it works sometimes. But uh, it does feel like Cronenberg, but hindered by something. And I'm not familiar with all the troubles uh, that took place or anything like that, but yeah. I, can, I can feel that on this. It doesn't quite feel like he was able to really unleash the Cronenberg like he is in some other movies, most of his other movies. Um, that being said, I think the plot's awesome. The concept is awesome, I should say. Like the the idea of um, these people kind of living among us that have you know, these amazing... Uh, mental powers and many of them are because they're driven insane by the weight of those powers uh, many of them are people that we pass on the street right they're they're people that live on the fringes of society and and um, I like that idea and I like the idea of um, somebody being sent in to infiltrate his own people, his own kind, right? I like that that idea. Um, there's some similarities to Blade Runner in that sense. Um, well, I guess it depends on how you feel about the whole Deckard thing, but like, there's some similarities there with Blade Runner where you have this guy who's like trying to track down people but not really having any sort of like personal stake in it necessarily. Like, he's being kind of uh, corralled by a, a a powerful, in this case, company to do this for him, and and he's kind of uncovering truths along the way. Um, no, it's it's worth a watch, uh, but it's definitely not. We're gonna see much stronger Cronenberg as we continue throughout the summer of Cronenberg, right? Um, and that's not to say it's not worth a watch. It is worth a watch, but it's it's. 
it's not I don't think Scanners is a classic in my opinion. I think it's a it's a solid sci-fi bordering on horror movie. I think yeah, I think yeah. this is a good this is a good transition from his kind of his Canadian tax shelter work cuz this is the last of those Canuxploitation, Canadian tech, and which I'll, I've got some notes on that later. We'll talk. Yeah. About, we can talk about that a little later. But that kind of early Cronenberg stuff, mm-hmm. I think, what I see at least is a is a director who's outgrowing some of that type of lower, but and he's he's ready to graduate into big, like melding his sensibilities, those that body horror stuff, with maybe a bigger budget and a bigger scope. This one feels it almost feels like too big for its britches in some ways. Yeah, it just I like, don't disagree. <laughs> like you said, the the concept the, is the so concept big is so, so big mm-hmm. that I don't think the movie and the size of it and the resources maybe with how it was made match that ambition. I think I agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. I do think a new scanners would be cool. Yes, um, I think it's something that you could. Bozeman, Darlin Bozeman, is it Bozeman or Bozeman? Yeah, the guy who what, he did the saucy. He's involved in some of the saucy Saw sequels. sequels yeah. yeah, he was going to remake this, but wouldn't do it without Cronenberg's blessing. And he said Cronenberg didn't give his blessing, um, which is odd. I don't know. I don't know the story behind that. Yeah. Honestly, it's. I just. I know Cronenberg has talked about this being a. And I do have some interview notes from him later too. But he's talked about this being kind of a, a struggle of. A production, so maybe that plays into it too. But I'm with you. No, yeah, I I would like to see. I think this is ripe for a remake. If yeah, anything, it is. doesn't even have to be a remake. Just a, just a new movie about the about scanners. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if it's not a straight remake, so yeah. And we watched the boys, so we've seen plenty of heads explode. Yes. <laughs> and it's and the although no, this is still a really good head explosion. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. It's this really is, good. This is up there. This and like Maniac has a really good head explode. The original, yeah. and then Dawn has one or two pretty good head explosions. Dawn of the Dead. Like, I feel like watching Dawn again. I feel like watching Day Dawn. again. Dude, yeah. <laughs> best score ever. Best score of all time. Yeah. The, oh, this is a this is a this is an early Howard Shore score too. By the uh, way, it rules. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really good score. The, yeah. the music and the sound is really good in this movie. The yes. sound with the humming and the, yes. mm, there's some good stuff in this. Sound movie. design suite. Uh, from a technical standpoint, this movie fires in all cylinders. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Let's, Pacing can be a little. Yeah. Okay. So this movie made about 14 million dollars at the box office. Okay. I believe it was more of a. It turned into more of a kind of like a word of mouth hit. <laughs> Two, it was it was the it was the highest grossing of his Canadian era movies, which it, which ended with this one with the Brood and Shivers and Rabbit. But this is certainly the most mainstream of those movies. Yes, this is the most mainstream yeah. of those movies. It's been it's been quoted in stuff like Wayne's World. Everybody remembers the uh, the scanners exploding, <laughs> the exploding head. Um, it's kind of a it's kind of a great moment. But another thing that's kind of iconic about it is the uh, VHS cover with the guy that's standing up and like. Got his yes. Yeah, is this, that's Iron. Is it supposed to be Iron? It kind of looks like him a little bit, right? Let me look, let me just look at it. It again. rules. The it's, yeah, sweet. it's really good. Um, it's one of those great '80s VHS covers, you know? Yeah, it's Ironside, and he's got yeah, yeah he's got kind of like the flames his coming from him. Are like, he's straight up. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, because this is supposed to be from the end of the movie. Yeah. Yes, the from finale, the scanners yeah, yeah. fight in the uh, in the final uh, finale of the movie. So. I a lot. I think this movie was one of those kind of early home video hits as we went into the '80s too, and that's why we got stuff like those '90s sequels, those two '90s sequels. Scanner Cop. <laughs> uh, well, there's also Scanners Two and Scanners Three. I know. There's five Scanners movies. Yes. That they. Uh, yes. There's <laughs> Scanner Cop Two. 
they filmed scanner did they film those back to back i know they filmed scanners 2 and Scan- scanners 3 like back to back probably in like 1990 they were released in 1991 so Amazing. maybe that was maybe that was Cronenberg told up he's like i love those movies yeah. <laughs> those, yeah they took my concept and made it sing um so remake scanner cup then i'll give you my blessing we're going to go through the old uh, wikipedia plot summary okay and i'm going to just going to stop after every paragraph or so and we'll just talk about it yeah we'll have a discussion that's i always like uh that when hosts of like news shows or podcasts goes i just want to let's have a discussion (laughs) let's talk about it let's talk about it let's talk about scanners uh cameron vale is a downtrodden vagrant who suffers from Voices manifesting in his head. After involuntary causing a woman to have a seizure with his telepathy, Vale is captured by the private military company Concept and brought to Dr. Paul Ruth, Dr. Ruth, who explains that Val is one of 237 superpowered individuals known as scanners capable of telepathy and psychokinesis. Okay, let's talk. We can dive in a little bit more in this yeah. up here. This is, this is kind of a cool. This is like an X-Men. Yeah, it's sweet. It's, it's like a comic book. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about with the, with the, the concept and, the, and the, the setup of the universe. It rules. This this is cool. I, you could, I could see this kind of story translating into books, a show, I, I hesitate to say show for anything at this point, but like <laughs> a show, comic someone book is li- someone is listening right now and pitching this to I know, Peacock. I know it's been pitched already. I'm sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, this is yeah. Someone's gone through and on an IMDb page. And Give me that it. sweet content. Well, can, we, can we make the brood into a show now? Scanners. <laughs> yeah, might be able to make that. Um, I can't believe the fly hasn't become something at this point. Um, but yeah, I think the the concept's pretty darn cool. So. The the movie also, I think, gets off to a good start. It, get, it takes you in from the jump. Oh, I wanted to... So, yeah, to follow up on the, the comic book, this is a... I've got a couple of snippets from a Fangoria interview. From, oh. oh, and just a heads up to anybody. I used to be able to find the Fangoria issues online. Some hero had uploaded all of those Fangorias, but yeah. I think Fangoria took them down. And it's fine because they've started to put up, I think they've got the first 80 issues or so up for free on their website. You just have to enter your email and you can get access to them. So this is from Fangoria number 10, which would have been January 1981 when this came out. He said, the dynamics are not what make it work. In fact, they're, um, did I, did I get the wrong one? Okay, so you go to sleep weak and you wake up finding, in fact, that you are strong. Someone says to you, you are not weak, you are stronger than you ever imagined. That's one of the premises of the film that doesn't exactly come out that way. He talks about it kind of being kind of like an, I didn't clip the part, but he talks about it being kind of an adolescent fantasy. So like a like a comic book fantasy is what he's talking about there. Like you, you wake, go to bed and you wake up and you're a superhero, basically. Yeah, you could. <laughs> and this is pre like superhero I mean, had we had uh, Superman, I think was it, right? <laughs> yeah. As far as like the those modern At ones. At that point, yes. Um, dare I say you could do like a uh, like a young adult version of Scanners, essentially. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you could you could do a version. Like, it just it's it, it's that it is that like that really cool idea of of waking up and finding out that you're special, right? That you're yeah. He says, yeah, I found the, yeah, what does lay behind the film is a fantasy. I think a very powerful one that I suppose starts as a child's fantasy is what he says. So that's where he's kind of pulling this from. Okay. Ruth injects Vale with ephemeral, which restores his sanity by temporarily inhibiting his scanning ability. 
and teaches him to control his abilities. Consect is attempting to recruit scanners to stop a malevolent underground ring of scanners led by Daryl Revok, a former Revoc. mental patient who tre- who um, trepanned his own skill to cope with the same uncontrollable stream of thoughts. Ruth explains that Vale's uncontrolled powers drove him mad and asks him to help infiltrate Revok's group. Revok, who is killing all opposing scanners, infiltrates a consect marketing event and physically and psychically explodes the head of a domesticated consect scanner. It rules. <laughs> Sorry. Consect. Uh, how many times I use consect in that? Consect. Yes. The head explosion scene. Yes. That we should, it's insane. Let's talk about this. Um... You know how they did this? I imagine they shot it with a gun. They shot it. The effect for the exploding head scene was accomplished by filling a latex head of the actor with dog food, leftover lunch, fake blood, and rabbit livers, and shooting it from behind with a 12-gauge shotgun, yeah. which they actually didn't use bullets. They used um, salt. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they used salt to, to shoot it and explode it. The uh, kosher salt. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Um and that's the same thing they did with with the the maniac and uh, Don ones too. They just straight up shot the thing with a shotgun. Yes. Um, yeah, and you know what? Of course, the actual head explosion is like an all timer, but I really think the scene works in terms of the tension. Like it, it, it it's that music or that sound that, too. Oh my god! It's like the the performance of the guy who whose head explodes. Um, Ironside's performance, the reactions of the audience to what's going on in front of them, that music and that sound design building, it all works really well. It's very, very well done. It's, it is the standout scene in the movie, there's no question. And it's not just because of the blood and guts, which is wonderful, but um, it, it really, really works. Yeah, it's great. I think what works about it, too, is uh, the special makeup artist, Stephen Dupuy, he, he, said, he, he compared it to, he likened it to the Death Star but a human head, yeah. like when the Death Star explodes. Yeah. And I think that it is kind of, of fires into a billionaire. Yeah, spots, yeah, I think that's it's almost important because it allows you, it's so, it's almost so ridiculous looking. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, it, like he says, it's like the Death Star blowing up that it's so comic, uh, comical that it allows you kind of a release to laugh. It's not like yeah. so, it's not like so nasty and gory and um, gross that you're turning away. It's one of those great moments that's fun because you can laugh at a guy's head exploding up because it's so cool looking. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like the violence of like a Kill Bill, right? Right. Where it's just so, so insane and bloody and nasty and over the top that you're like, you can't help but chuckle like... A couple other quick picks on this. Uh, Dick Smith was the effects guy in this. He were he was working on altered states at the time. He had worked oh, on that yeah. for like, yeah, like ten months. But he, of course, he did the makeup and effects for movies like The Godfather, The Exorcist, and he won an Oscar for Amadeus. So this say is, he's an Oscar winner. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Amadeus is the one he won the Oscar for for makeup, I believe. Cronenberg. This is also from that Fangoria interview, and this kind of shows you. Uh, when he was doing the interview, kind of what the process was like in 1981, mm-hmm. but he talks about getting an X rating for this sequence. It's also funny because it, it's funny to me when I look back at old trailers, especially how not worried at all people are about spoiling movies in them. And, and like in interviews, he dances right up on just flat out spoiling some of the stuff in the movies. But he says, if we were to get an X rating from the MPAA and it becomes obvious that it's the head that would be the cause of it. He's talking about the exploding head in this. <laughs> we'd certainly have to think about it because the alternative of releasing it with an X 
re- would really be a shame. <laughs> so he's he's basically treating it like an emergency and basically like pleading like don't give me an X rating here. Please. And I think that's. I mean, I think they used the I need shot. The head. <laughs> and he like pushed it back into further back into the movie, so audiences like late arriving audiences could see the head exploding. <laughs> so there you go. Amazing. Uh, back to the plot. Consec security head Braden Keller advocates shutting down Consec's scanner research program, but Ruth, who believes the scanner's abilities are the next stage of human evolution. There's that X-Men. Again, yeah. he's, he's very much a uh, Magneto. Oh, this. yes. Uh, disagrees and notes that the a- assassination demonstrates Revox danger. Ruth brings in Vale and asks him to help infiltrate Revox group. Okay, we need to talk about uh, the lead performance and some of the other performances here because the lead performance, I think, by, uh, what is this, Stephen Lack, an unfortunate name for someone who does not <laughs> give the best performance because you can easily go, oh, he's lacking. In the, yeah, the, it's not great. In the charisma um, area. Yeah, it's not this great. Is, yeah, a lot I of, try not to be a dick about performances, <sighs> but he's not very good. Like I mean, he's, just, he's just not very good. I, I'm not convinced about that. Especially when he's up against Arian's side, who I think is like, legitimately terrifying at the time he was behind he was he even says he was a secondary name next to jennifer o'neill who was on something at the time and then mm. patrick mcguhan was who was from uh the prisoner i believe was his big thing mcguhan um so yeah i don't it, it gets killed in this movie his performance i've seen reviews of it they all point to him like every review points to how bland he is and i i mean it's one of those things it's almost like when it's almost like a king character where hundred percent the guy is yeah he is kind of bland but this world is so out there that you do you don't want your lead character to be too interesting. <laughs> but no, it's it's I, it's more his performance I think. It's both. I mean, it's it the he's not a terribly interesting character and he doesn't feel like he has a ton of agency in any real way, shape, or form throughout most of the movie. Um, I mean, he fights back and he, he handles his business as the movie pro- progresses. But it's also the performance, and I just don't think you get a lot from... I do think some actors can elevate even a role that's kind of on page. It's not terribly thrilling or exciting. It's more vanilla, I guess. Yeah. That doesn't happen here, but whatever. Ironside's the standout, right? He's amazing. He's amazing. (laughs) Ironside rules. Um, From the moment you see him, you're kind of mesmerized by the guy, because he's just like... There's a coolness about him, but also like you're kind of freaked out by him, like you're kind of scared of him. He's like the he's like when you like go to a party when you're in like high school or like early college and you don't have a ton of world experience, right? Yet. And at any one of those parties you went to, inevitably like that guy shows up. Michael Ironside. Yes. And I think you know what I mean, like it's like some like that guy or that girl shows up and they're a little bit older. And you're kind of interested in this person because you're kind of like, what's this this person's deal, right? Because they like, there's a danger about them, but you're also kind of like, I don't want to get too close to that person because they might yeah. have a knife. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Every every party I ever went to had somebody show up like that, and I was like, stay away from that guy. But also, I got to keep my eye on him, see what he's going to do next. Yeah, that's Michael Ironside. <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit about the production issues. One of them. There were some clashes on set between some of the actors and their egos, particularly O'Neill and uh, Patrick McGuhan. I have to read this quote from the interview on Cronenberg on Patrick McGuhan because it made me laugh out loud. Because it, here it says he was dot dot dot, and then Cronenberg says of McGuhan 
very interesting and they italicize interesting to work with. <laughs> so he doesn't want to, he's trying very hard not to just bash he's Patrick. Canadian. He's Canadian. He's a, he's a <laughs> yes. nice guy. Yeah. He says he's certainly a very brilliant man. He's also a very complex man and a very eccentric man. I don't think he would refute any of these. No two days were the same except in terms of uh, performance, which was uniformly brilliant. What a way, you're right, what a Canadian way to kind of... <laughs> Get across, convey your annoyance with someone, but also compliment them at the same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's very good at his job, but I'll never work with him again. <laughs> yeah, he goes. I've been very happy with his participation. <laughs> um, and I should say, sweetheart, um, we're gonna bookend this series with two Stephen Lack performances because uh, he comes back in Dead Ringers. Cronenberg oh liked him enough to bring him back, oh, so there you go. <laughs> I haven't seen Dead Ringers in like years. I don't. I've never seen Dead Ringers. Okay. The next three I've seen uh, yeah. multiple times. A couple yeah. of them are my favorite. Well, maybe not. Uh, the fly, the fly in video drum. I love, 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 love. Sure. Um, and then I like the Dead Zone quite a bit. I haven't seen that in years either. I don't think. But I would, Dead Ringers is going to be a new one, so I'm excited for that. Unknown to Ruth Keller is working for Revac as a mole. It informs him of Ruth's infiltration plan. Yeah, we're getting into the kind of the uh, dull stuff here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Revac, it, it sounds, it reads interesting on paper, but it, there's not a lot of pep to it. Revac dispatches assassins to follow Vale as he visits an unaffiliated scanner named Benjamin Pierce, a successful yet, I like Benjamin Pierce. That's the dude, is that the dude from Jason X? Is it? Uh, base, uh, Benjamin Pierce, I believe, is the... Let me let me double check this. I think it's I mean, I've seen the actor in in stuff. Yeah, before. I rec- recognize him from Jason X. He's also been in other Cronenberg movies. Was he the reason? Was he the guy who? He's the guy that calls on the phone and he's kind of like he looks like he's like lying in bed. Yeah. All right, scanners. We're gonna look at scanners right now. It hit the actor's name. I had it. I had it written down here, but we're gonna find out together because I think that's sometimes more exciting. Uh, yeah, Robert A. Silverman is the he's the reclusive artist here. Excellent. And he is the. Guy from uh, Jason X. He's also in The Brood. <laughs> and he will be in, uh, at Naked Lunch. So he's worked with Cronenberg a few times. But Was he the reason why Cronenberg got involved in Jason X? Uh, he may be, or he may, like, Cronenberg may be the reason he got involved in Jason X. Because I, I, I think it was just one of the things, too, where Todd Farmer has talked about this in interviews. I think it's just like they were in Canada and they asked him. And Cronenberg's like, yeah, but I want to be killed by Jason. <laughs> That's the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah Revax assassin murder Pierce but Vale reads Pierce's dying brain and learns a group of scanners led by Kim Obrist who oppose Revax's group Vale tracks down Obrist and attends a meeting but Revax assassin strike again only Vale and Obrist survive so there are some Cronenberg themes that we will see quite a bit I think in the next few movies, there's like political and government conspiracies here. There's a corporate conspiracy. Yeah, he's distrusting of yes. authority for yep. sure. I mean, that, that's that's present in pretty much all of his movies. Yep, in some form. Yeah, and that that's very present. Yeah, I don't think you get as much of that in movies before Scanners of his. I'm trying to think of. It. I don't think there's a lot of that necessarily in in Rabbit and Shivers in Rabbit or Shivers. Yeah, um, the Brood is very much a. Um, the Brood has it. Yeah, the Brood has it. The Brood is very much him working, and he's uh, working through his divorce, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. The Brood has some of it, though. I would agree, but this one is. I feel like the first time you really feel that, that kind of um, distrust of of government corporations, anybody who's in power. Yes. Yeah. For, for sure. sure. Yep, yeah, and you will see that 
a couple times very soon. <laughs> um, and there's also like an uprising in this. I mean, from an oppressed group and an individual that would be that's pretty obvious. Yep. There, there is some body horror here. It's a little bit different. Obviously, the head explosion, but even the the, the telepathy um, and the and the humming and all that stuff. There's some stuff early on where like the bodies are put on display. It that's all there. Um, there's, I mean. A piece of human junk one character calls another uh, the interesting stuff is for me was in this part of it because part of the, a lot of the horror is in the mind in this movie uh, revolves around the mind and they talk about rehabilitation through art and then they talk about the voices in my head keep driving me crazy and that's kind of another form of body horror but it's also there's a part where i think it's yeah it's um pierce says my art keeps me sane like that's what keeps him sane and to me that kind of sums up a lot of Cronenberg's like ethos, like his entire like mm-hmm. his his body of work is like his because he is such a like a like an analytical mind. Yeah, uh, what seems to keep him sane is work, creating, uh, creating, yeah. mm-hmm. and his art. And I mean, I, I think this seems to be saying like you kind of you kind of have to have something like that to to tether yourself and keep yourself sane. Not even not just art, but work or family or anything. Well, like that. I mean, okay, like I mean, uh, you know. Uh, Look at what we're doing right now, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the, it, I think people need. I think you like. I, great for everybody out there who gets to who is able to find a career or or a or a a path like that that you know is also something that they're very passionate about and is like was their dream to do that thing. I think it's fantastic. I right. do not begrudge those people anything, but most people that's not the case. Let's just be honest here it's it generally it's not the case doesn't mean you don't like your job doesn't mean you don't in, you know enjoy the work you do per se but most people aren't passionate about the work they do i don't think by and large what's important i think for people those for those people is to find an outlet find something that they are passionate about find something that is creative that lets them um release that part of themselves and get it out there because i, I think if you don't have that i think you do you sit around and, and you go kind of nuts. Uh, yeah, the last couple of years, the last couple of years, if yeah, I don't know how you feel. I was thinking about this today. Actually, is like if I didn't have this podcast, especially like a year or two ago, like something to focus on every week or two, yeah, <laughs> like this outside of just sitting sure at home and staring at my computer screen, sure, and, or sitting yeah anywhere and staring at like at data all day or whatever. Yeah. Like if I didn't have something to to a work on, outlet. yeah, yep. like I would have gone crazy. No, I agree. <laughs> and, and it's not, and that's no, you know, we're both married men. That's no slight against our wives. Uh, I have a little one that's no slight against her. Those are important things. And I love the time I spend with my family, right. as do you, but you need something for yourself as well. You know, so I think that that's, I think it's important. Yeah. And for any of you out there that are struggling and, and like, because I know there's people out there that are struggling and feeling kind of, find, find there, there's something for you. Right. Find something. Journal. Do something. Yeah. I, 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 it sounds silly to like we're bringing this up during scanners, but it's an important thing. I really think it's important. Uh, there's so many cool things out there that you can you can do and try and, and don't be afraid to, you know, I don't know. Yeah, Whatever. it's I but I I think this that that section with Pierce and the art is the most interesting part of the second act of the movie for me because it finally feels 
like Cronenberg saying something here. It's thoughtful. (laughs) There's a there's a a thought behind it. Yeah. And then of course it devolves into Yeah. (laughs) The government conspiracy stuff and the and the corporate conspiracy stuff is all there and stuff too. But that's yeah, that's all there. That's all comic book stuff. But the the stuff that feels like Cronenberg like stepping in and like saying, Oh, this is why I'm making this movie, that's the stuff that really grabbed me. I would have liked to have spent more time with that character. I would have liked to yeah. Or at least yeah, done something else to really flesh out that theme, but yeah, yeah, thematically to do, yeah, because like like I said, unfortunately, it as soon as you're kind of introduced to the character and the and the and the theme, it just kind of gets literally and figuratively blown away. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so Vale learns of a pharmaceutical company, Biocarbon Amalgamate, which he soon discovers Revok. What a name! Uh, Revok is using to distribute large quantities of ephemeral under a concept computer program called the ripe Vale and obrist return to concept to investigate and ruth admits that he find founded biocarbon amalgamate and suggests Vale cyberpathically scan the computer system to learn about god bless whoever put together this wikipedia page. I, it's a lot <laughs> keller attacks obrist and kills ruth while Vale and obrist flee the concept building isn't there a uh, a a band a lead singer called like connor obrist <laughs> That I'm thinking of here. There uh, is. Yes. <laughs> well, I finish off this paragraph, find me who Cutter uh, Oberst sings for. I know this name. Vale cyberpathically hacks into the computer network through a telephone booth and downloads ephemeral shipment information directly into his mind. Keller is killed when the computer explodes during his attempt to intercept Vale. I want to, yeah, I want to touch on a couple things real Bright quick. Bright eyes. Bright eyes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> Connor Oberst. Uh, I, yes, maybe he's related. Maybe they're a Canadian band. There you go. Um, Bright eyes. That's right. They're a band who, um, that's a callback to the original Planet of the Apes, I believe. She refers ah. to him as Bright Eyes. Delightful. Yeah. <laughs> this is a movie that does not find, like, it doesn't get really exciting. Oh, there's the stuff in the, have we gotten to the seance yet? The seance is coming up, isn't it? Yeah. The seance is kind of fun, but, like, there's a part in this movie where there's an action scene where someone's just standing in a phone booth, like, acting into a phone, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then some computer screens blow up. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> It's not the most exciting. The shootout in the the barn or the whatever kind of works. I mean, it, yeah, it keeps you. You're like, oh, okay. You know, like I said, even though it kind of cuts short the the cool thematic stuff they're doing, it at least pumps up the action for a minute or two. But then we kind of get back in a little bit of the doldrums with yes, some of the stuff. So this is a good point to talk about why maybe it is so. Um Maybe a little bit boring. Sure. In the middle, because of what it was working with, money wise. I want to talk about Canadian tax shelter movies. Oh here. man, I can't wait. Canuxploitation, if you will. And there's a website called Canuxploitation that really does a good job of cataloging this. I'm going to give a brief history here. Sure. In 1974, there were just three feature films produced in Canada, and then all of a sudden, in 1979, there were 77. There was something a tax loophole called a loophole called the capital cost allowance, which let investors take tax deductions for their investment in Canadian produced movies. In 1974, that deduction limit was raised to 100 percent, creating a tax shelter and rise in the number of Canadian made productions. So that's why you see stuff like this Cronenberg, those early Cronenberg movies and Ivan Reitman is another one. And we'll talk a little bit more about the horror movies here in a second. But a familiar name. Here is Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, whose son is um, Justin Trudeau, I believe, the current Prime Minister. But he was the Prime Minister back in back in the day. 
Um, he decided to, he was the one that decided in 1974 to kind of sweeten those tax shelters. Okay. Uh, that's what it worked. He has a, it peaked in 1979 with 77 films, but he has a, he's a really good quote because some of these movies were not the best. Some of them were just, not everybody was David Cronenberg at the time. Some of these people were just making trash to make it. And he says, there are now many Canadian films, but there aren't too many good ones, are there? (laughs) That rules. Uh, a couple of other uh, figures is uh, Don Johnston, not Don Johnson. Johnston. Johnston. He was a tax lawyer in okay. uh, Montreal. He he would forever change the course of the Canadian film industry while putting together the financing for Paul, Paul Arnold, Arnold's film, The Act of the Heart. Johnson realized that Canada's tax rules included little use provisions that allowed investors to con- claim 60% capital cost allowance. So he was kind of, what he what was meant for that, every dollar an investor put into the film production, they could reduce their taxable income by 60 cents, and then it would erase 100 So he's the lawyer that kind of found it. A couple of other ones, um, Michael Spencer was a former editor and cameraman at the National Film Board who believed Canada's industry had enough room for art house and genre films. So he, he did a lot of art house stuff. Um... One immediate effect, uh, John Dunning, Cinepix. This is the one I wanted to talk about. Cinepix soon became home to those looking for an alternative to those kind of stuffier art house films that I mentioned there just a second ago. They attracted, they were the um, company that attracted producers like uh, Don Carbody and Ivan Reitman too, but also David Cronenberg. They specialize in kind of controversial stuff like Death Weekend, Blackout, and Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS. Mm. But they also did. Yes, they were also the ones responsible for Ivan Reitman's classic movie, Meatballs. Meatballs. <laughs> yeah. It's been years since I've seen Meatballs. Uh, it, me too. Is is Murray in the original Meatballs? Murray's in the original Meatballs. Okay. Yes. Okay. I I think Meatballs is the one. Was he in one of the sequels? There's like seven. No, of he had movies, never right? done a sequel until Ghostbusters Two. I think is the thing. There are seven. One of them has an alien. It's like a boxing okay. alien. Like there's a boxing match between an alien. Corey and... Feldman becomes the lead of the Meatballs movies I... <laughs> after a while, right? Am I right about that? I think so. But I want to say Meatballs is the one where Ivan Reitman was looking for Bill Murray one day, and it turned out he was following a minor league baseball team around. <laughs> so sweet. Uh, but they also Cinepix, um They also did. Uh, they also made movies for our horror fans here. My Bloody Valentine and Happy Birthday to Me. Kind of those. Slashers. Uh, Harold Harold Greenberg, he, Astral Bellevue Path Limited, that was his company. He gave Oliver Stone his start with his debut movie, Seizure. He produced the little girl who lived down the lane. Um, He also did Death Ship, Terror Train, and Porky's. So uh, those are are just some of those movies. Cronenberg, of course. They're... um, Cronenberg was in, in, interesting because his tax shelter era movies are Shivers, Rabid, The Brood, and Scanners. Oh, yeah, and, and Fast Company as well. And there's a sleaziness to Shivers and Rabid that feels... You see the Cronenberg stuff, but it's very low budget. Yes. And there is a sleaziness to those movies where it, you, you know... I could see a lot of people at the time considering those movies to be in the... What Trudeau said was the not-so-good... like. I enjoy them, but, you know. There was a writer named Robert Fulford who wrote an article called You Should Know How Bad This Film Is. After all, you paid for it. And he's taking aim at Cronenberg specifically, and he calls, I can't remember which one he calls 
um, I want to say Rabid, the most repulsive movie I've ever seen. It's got to be Rabid. <laughs> which, 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 first of all, is probably very good. Was probably very good for Cronenberg's uh, oh, Rabbit's box it. office. <laughs> loved it. But, um, but it's also funny because you look at Cronenberg now. Out of all those movies, because uh, Bob Clark is another one we should mention who did uh, Black Christmas mm-hmm. around this time, but. Ivan Reitman w- w- made a movie called Cannibal Girls with Eugene Levy. You get all these guys and you look back at it now and Cronenberg's like the most well-respected director out of all of them. Yeah. And he cut his teeth in this stuff and he was the one that this gentleman, Robert Fulford, and a lot of people were coming after. Eviscerating. Yeah, yeah, So there you go. For sure. Um, that's a, a very quick um, history of exploitation. But if you want more and... You, you should because there's some good stuff but yeah Canucksploitation I believe dot com is the website Excellent. you can check it out back to the plot yes Vale and Obris oh do you want to watch Cannibal Girls with <laughs> made by Ivan Ivan Reitman and starring Eugene Levy by the way yes <laughs> the, an- the answer is yes mark that down uh, Vale and Obris <laughs> visit a doctor on the list of ephemeral recipients where they discover that it is being prescribed to pregnant women, causing their children to become scanners. Revik and his men ambush and abduct Vale and Obrist, taking them to the biocarbon amalgamate plant. I hate that name so much because <laughs> I've had to pronounce it three times now. Revik reveals to Vale that they are both Ruth's children and he developed ephemeral as a sedative for pregnant women. Ruth learned about the drug's side effect during his wife's pregnancy and made them the most powerful scanner- scanners in the world by administering a prototype dose before abandoning them. All right, stop. Um, ephemeral. This may or may not have been inspired by a scandal in the 1950s. Women who were taking thalamide, thalod- oh, thalidomide during pregnancy began to give birth to children suffering phosomelia or other physical deformities. In the late 1950s and early 60s, the use of thalamide in 46 countries by women who are pregnant or who subsequently became pregnant, resulting in the biggest man-made medical disaster ever. With more than 10,000 children born with a range of severe deformities, as well as thousands of miscarriages. So there you go. A fun little fact. A fun little, yeah. There's a... Look back. A line in a Slipknot song about thalidomide babies. Okay. Yeah. Which song is that? I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember thinking like, wow, that's pretty... It's pretty intense. This is uh, so this is kind of back to back uh, pregnancy focused movies because he did the Brood too. Yeah, there's a, there's something going on there. I should mention this was this is I can't remember the name of the original original scripts, but this this was based on a couple of early scripts by Cronenberg that kind of morphed into this. Okay, so so there you go. So uh, yeah, well, it's funny he's not afraid to like reuse. A lot of great filmmakers aren't, you know, afraid to reuse ideas they had, right? You know, from before. Uh, Crimes of the Future. He made a movie called Crimes of the Future way back in the day, right? A completely unrelated. He just likes the title. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't this one been kicking around? For, well, I mean, that's that's kind of a Crimes of the Future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. An author so. or director yeah. thing is you work on stuff for a yeah, long time sure. and, until it's ready, and then yeah, I think he's been talking about this one, or it's been brought up before, certainly. Yeah. <clears throat> Surgery is the new sex, by the way. That's the tagline. That's good. <laughs> that is the most Cronenberg <laughs> shit He to seems say. to be having fun again. He that? does. Yeah, he does seem to be having fun. I yeah. don't know if he was ever not having fun. It's just his movies, his more recent work has sure. really left me 
cold and and really uninterested in seeing those two Pattinson movies. I never even got around to watching. So yeah, like History of Violence was like phenomenal. History of Violence and uh, Eastern Promises rules very good. I thought that was underrated. I think people kind of, I think people slept on that because History Eastern of Violence Promises? is so good. No, um. Eastern Promises. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it rules. It's so good. It kicks ass. <laughs> he was talking about doing an Eastern Promises sequel, and I was like, yes, like, let's go. Like, yeah. I hope it happens. I, um, I think because it's uh, Eastern Promises maybe isn't as weighty as no, it's not. History of Violence is, but it's still really cool. And it's I think sweet. it gets, I think it's get shafted a little bit in comparison to the two. Yeah, it's shafted. a different movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. The Vigo Bathhouse fight. <laughs> All right, Tim, I know what you did. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, but yeah, after that, it was like Cosmopolis and... Um, um, a Dangerous Method I watched some of. Because yeah. we were at the video store at the time. Not for me. No, I was just like a... Spoiler. And then he did one more after that that I wasn't, you know, super... Let me check super here. Into, but. Yeah, his 90s stuff is interesting. Oh, Maps of the Stars. Yeah. Crimes of the Future. Him and Vigo, though. I love the pairing. Yes. Yeah. It's beautiful. Beautiful stuff. So I got to dive back into the plot. Oh, yeah. Let's finish this bad boy out because we're at the end. Yeah, the grand finale. Uh, Reebok plans to create and lead a new generation of scanners to take over the world by mass distributing ephemeral, but Vale refuses to join the plot. A telepathic duel ensues. This part is awesome. Between the brothers, during the course of which Vale's body is destroyed and burned. However, when Obris encounters Reebok, his head scar has vanished and he speaks in Vale's voice. Vale had switched consciousness with Reebok in the last minute. So this is almost in a way kind of your horror your final scare it's sweet <laughs> the final battle is really fun it rules what's funny is like it shouldn't be as good as it is because it's just two guys kind of thinking at each other for lack of a better like they're thinking at each other yeah that's how they fight but it's really intense and uh kind of gnarly and you get some nasty uh, uh vascularity and stuff going on and uh boils and flames and screaming and it's it's sweet um but i do like the last bit with the switcheroo it's not set up i don't think at any point through dialogue or through anything that happens that you that a scanner could do that could like but like i totally buy that they could because like why not they've shown us they can do all sorts of crazy cool stuff with their minds so yeah i dig it i think it's cool and like you said it's a good final scare because it is but it isn't right it's kind of a cool he he pulls that kind of blanket or whatever off and you're like oh shit he lived I like that I dig it I was his think- eyes are a different color too which yeah. I like it's cool I was thinking about this earlier today and I have not done enough one to one like research to uh, to really confirm this but there are some parallels to Prince with David Cronenberg for me so oh well, okay <laughs> so I'm all ears. 1980 now. is Dirty Mind, which would have been around. That would be his The Brood, because I think that's that Dirty Mind is Prince's first masterpiece to me, and I think The Brood okay. is like Cronenberg's uh, first great work for okay. me. The 1981 Prince released Controversy, and Controversy is not as good as Dirty Mind, but it's a like, kind of a weirder follow up, a little bit messier follow up, similar to what something like Scanners would be, which came oh, out the same okay. year. <laughs> but then you start to get into. His ma- Prince's masterpieces like 1999, mm-hmm. uh, Purple Rain, yeah. Sign of the Times, and that's when you start to get that that 80s like that mid 80s run that Prince had is very similar and around the same time to Cronenberg's run, which we've got coming up, which like would this. be yeah, which would be Video Drum. So Video Drum would be his um, 
that I guess would be his 1982. That would be his 1999. That kind of works actually. Yeah, it does. And then 1984, Purple Rain would be, I guess, be his Dead Zone. So that might be maybe that. I it, would you say Dead Zone or The Fly would be kind of his most mainstream. The Fly. Yeah, Wait, I think when so I too. think of Cronenberg, I think of The Fly. When it comes, to, yeah, when it comes to especially like his mainstream, that's that's the one I think of too. Yeah, yeah. and it's kind of. If somebody asked me, like, like I want to try some Cronenberg, what's the? F- I would say tr- do the Fly first. Me too, because it's it's an it's a perfect blend of his sensibilities leading up to the to the to the Fly, but it has a, a Hollywood sheen about it and a budget behind it and the performances and stuff. Yeah, it's the Fly is his masterpiece, like his for sure. Yeah, he talks so in that just one more. Th- Maybe a couple more things on that mm, Fangoria yeah. interview. Um, they talk a little bit about what's coming next for Cronenberg. Mm. And let me see if I can find the exact thing. And then there's one other thing I have to touch on because I read It's the always letters. fun to look back on these things. Yes. And see what the quotes were at the time. And now, obviously, knowing what the actual. They talk about what's coming up next. Yeah, what's coming up next for him. And it, it's the section is titled Cronenstein because. <laughs> He was rumored to do a Frankenstein movie. Would have been a great fit. Yes. And he says, I don't intend to remain literally faithful to the book. It doesn't interest me to do a period piece, which is what it would be. There's a movie called Victor Frankenstein with Per Oscarson as the monster. I believe it was a Swedish-Irish co-production. It was incredibly faithful to the book. And as a result, it was a lonely, bleak art film that mainly dealt with one or two people in a room. It was a very interesting little film, and it did some things that I've never seen in Hitler Frankenstein. Um, So... In terms of theme, I would like to get at some things in some ways that haven't been done before in terms of plot and detailing. So he's he's talking a little bit about it, but isn't the fly is kind of his Frankenstein movie in some ways, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because obviously the fly is a remake, and, and it's easy to forget that. I feel like the thing in the fly people forget sometimes because the the remake became so much more of a yeah, like a, a touchstone. Um, and the blob sometimes too. I think people forget, even with the even though the blob, like the, the the classic one is like the blob. Sometimes people forget it's a remake too. I right. Think. Um, but yeah, the the fly is very Frankenstein esque, and it's certainly his version of it. It's 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 somebody who's falling apart and like uh, yeah no man's for sure. search for something beyond yes, yes and touching that, the gods. The only difference, obviously, the big difference is that instead of Instead of creating a creature, he turns himself into the creature. So that's the big difference. Is there's a self-loathing aspect to the fly that isn't necessarily present in Frankenstein. Yeah. So yeah, but it's very similar. Yeah, he says uh, the thematically the idea of a parent creating a child and then rejecting the child and having the child reject the creator. That is a story in Mary Shelley's terms. It was also the story of man and God. Her opening quote from Paradise Lost sets that up. I'd never thought of it before, but once the idea was su- suggested to me, it suddenly became obvious that, in a sense, it was the idea I'd been working with from the beginning. So he even admits, like, this would be right up mm-hmm. my alley. This fits right in with what I yeah. do thematically. And it would, but it's one of those things that's almost, like, too perfect <laughs> of a fit that it never happened. So. Yeah, and it never would have been as good as you were thinking it. Like, right. Because any fit, any fit that perfect on paper is never going to quite match up to, yeah. The, sure. o- the other thing um, I wanted to bring up here, and I'm hoping I can find it real quick. I, I, I feel like every... Yeah, fill some time here. Everybody uh, wants to do their version of Frankenstein or Dracula. I found it, okay. That's like a classic. 
Yes. All filmmakers want to do that. Like horror filmmakers want to do their version of Especially that. Especially that generation of filmmakers who grew yeah. up on those movies. Yep. yep. Yeah, now we're dealing with a generation who wants to do their own slasher movie or their own because they grew up on the stuff we grew up on. Right. Yeah. Kind of different, but. So I, I've referred to this Fangoria issue. I have to talk about this because I swear to you. Yeah. This is Gene Siskel writing in under an alias. And I refuse to believe otherwise. (laughs) She says, Dear Fangoria, it's called Blood Siskel in the Ratings. Dear Fangoria, there is or used to be a distinction between horror films and atrocity films. A distinction that Gene Siskel seems to understand a whole lot better than you do if the distinction is ever reestablished and the domains of nightmare are reclaimed from the gore mongers. It will be thanks to people like him. No thanks to all, no thanks at all to you, sort. Hooray for Mr. Siskel. And then uh, this gentleman's name is Galen Peoples from Bloomington, Indiana. It's Gene Siskel that wrote 100%. (laughs) I laughed when you first said that because it's really funny, but no, it's Gene. Yeah. It's Siskel. I like Siskel. I no, like I Siskel. do. Um, but that is Gene yeah. running in and being a twat about. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I, I like to every once in a while. I like to read Ebert's reviews of some of some of the more well known stuff. Yeah. And he was a champion of some of Cronenberg's earlier work. He wasn't so much of a. I actually fit right along with Ebert on this one, where I he kind of says the effects are good, but there's not a lot to get me engaged in the story. Sure. And I'm, I'm with him I don't on disagree. That. Yeah. So he was a champion of some of his earlier stuff, but not so much Scanners. Um, okay. But I, I don't remember what, uh, yeah, what his thoughts were on. <laughs> I love it. So there you go. Final thoughts. Uh, yeah. Scanners. Yeah. It's worth a watch. Um, it's not his best. It's not the most interesting Cronenberg's been. I think it's one of the less... I've seen most of his stuff. Um, there's a couple of like reevaluations I have to do as we go through the summer of... Dead Zone needs a reevaluation from me. It's been a little bit. Okay, and cool. uh, Dead Ringers really needs a reevaluation because it's been a long, long time. Um, this is on, you know, it, look, it's on lower end Cronenberg for me, but even lower end Cronenberg is still worthy of a look. Um, if nothing else, for the head pop scene and the grand finale, which I think is really, really pretty great. So, yeah. Perfect. Um, all right. That's it. We're going to be back next yes. week with, I believe, his video drum up next, right? Absolutely. So, there we go. Check us out. Yeah. All your favorite social medias. Also, um, if you want to just, I've, we've been uploading these to YouTube. It's just the, it's just the discussions. So, mm-hmm. if you, if you're, if you're one of those people who are like, hey, why are you talking for the first 15, 20 minutes? Yeah. Quit, quit chit chat. Quit chit chat. If you, if you don't like our banter, our world class number <laughs> one A plus banter, then uh, check out our YouTube page. We just, I just upload, I usually cut out the, uh, Cut out, cut it out. We just, I just put the film discussion up there. I mean, you should love our banter, but we get it. <laughs> it's fine. I'm we're just, not offended. I'm real quick. I'm making sure we're we're doing. I'm getting the dates right with video drum here. Yeah. Um, Willie, anything else? No, uh, no. I, I'm I'm pretty excited to keep, uh, you know, uh, trudging through the 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 depths of Cronenberg's uh, squishiness. Because if there's yeah. one thing his movies are, it's squishy. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Uh, we've got a squ- very squishy one coming up next. It is video drum. <laughs> it's very squishy. <laughs> yes. This yeah. is a movie that I um, that I love, and I'm hoping it holds up. So. Yeah. Do you want a copy of this? Um. You know what? I don't. Okay. Yeah. I so. don't either. So we're gonna have to rent this one. <laughs> yeah, we are gonna have to rent this I one. I own scanners. 
And for those people who do have, I want to say this bad boy might be on. Oh, video drum. Thank you, David. It is only an hour and 29 minutes. Oh, you know what? We don't have to pay it all because guess what? Tubi? Videodrome is on Tubi. The saviors of Hell Tubi. Yes. Oh, wait. Maybe I'm wrong because oh, I clicked no. on it. Just <laughs> a second. What have you done? Uh, Tubi is. If you're asking me. Oh, t- Videodrome is on Tubi. Don't worry. If you you're just asking have to me search for Tubi it. or not Tubi, the answer is Tubi. <laughs> No I want to say it might be on uh, HBO Max as well. So okay. um, if you if you pay for HBO Max and you are sitting there going like, I'd uh, oh it's not on HBO Max. I was gonna say if you pay for HBO Max and you're like I'm getting what I pay for, I'm gonna watch it on HBO Max. I don't want the ads. T- <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm not watching it. So, Tubi is my favorite streaming service. Oh shit, Debbie Harry's in. Uh, yeah, Video Drone. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, so excited. Anyway, right. fantastic. Can't wait. Yes, we will see you next time. Yes. Stay safe, everybody.